Welcome to Walter Edgar's Journal. With me in the SCANA studio today are Dave Henderson, who is the director of the Johnson Collection in Spartanburg, and longtime friend Martha Severance, who is the curator of the collection. And we're going to talk about the Johnson Collection and also about a relatively unknown South Carolina-born artist, Eugene Thomason. Dave and Martha, welcome to the journal. Thank you. Nice to be here. Dave, let's talk a little bit about you. Our listeners always want to know, who are my guests and who are their folks and how did you get to where you are? Well, that's kind of an interesting story. Uh, I retired, and to keep it short, I retired in 1994 from the printing industry and started collecting art. In 1976, my wife is a freelance writer, and she was writing for Art Voice of the South, which is now defunct. And she had written an article about Mrs. Verner, and I told her as we were walking out the door in 1976 that one day I hoped to come back, back there and buy a painting. Mm-hmm. And so when we retired, we went to Kiowa for a month, and the first thing I did was go downtown to the Verner Gallery. Mrs. Verner was passed by then, and uh, purchased one of her l- ladies. Madeline was her name. Okay. <laughs> And from there, nothing happened. I just collected art for uh, two, uh, two uh, up until 2002. Anything particular? So always all Southern. Southern. All Southern art. Okay. All right, so that's the first phase of the background. Okay. And uh, in 2002, George and Susu came over to my house one night and asked me very nicely if I would help them buy a few paintings. And this is George and Susu Johnson in Spartanburg. Yes, and I said, sure, George, I'll be glad to help you all, uh, thinking to myself, oh, I know the market, I've studied the market, and they probably want 20 or 30 paintings, and that'll be the end of it. Mm-hmm. Well, a thousand paintings later. A th- wait a, a thousand paintings? paintings. La- later, and uh, I've probably run through five or 600 books and educating myself, here we are. I, as far as my responsibility in the collection, I'm the, I'm the steerer of the ship, and I uh, look after uh, the, the acquisitions. Okay. And all the all of the uh, curatorial responsibilities we farm out to qualified scholars. Okay. That summarizes roughly. Okay. So you're the you're the man who looks at art auctions, and you go to Christie's or Sotheby's yeah. or wherever, and I might look at five thousand paintings a week, Walter. Five thousand, and I and I might find two that work. And maybe this is to both of you, Martha, since your curator is the collection eclectic. I know it's southern, but it's southern broadly defined, is it not? Yes, yes, the, the definition. And let me clarify the curator. I'm actually uh, a curatorial consultant, so oh. I am driven by special projects. Okay. I don't have the same comprehensive role. Thank goodness that I have had in my other positions as curator at museums. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this allows me to be very focused on research and writing, though I must say every once in a while Dave will um, call me in and say, "Mm, what do you think about this? Um, For instance, uh, the collection was looking at some Jasper Johns, Mm -hmm. and since I have some familiarity with Jasper Johns thanks to the experience that I had at the Greenville County Museum of Art, I could go back into my various files, my books, and say, well, you know, this has a special tie to South Carolina. This might be more meaningful than something else. So I'm very much a consultant. My home base is at home. Okay. The Johnson Collection is very eclectic, as we said. It it is all Southern. 
between the two of you, would you like kind of describe how many there, there are a thousand permanent the paintings in in yes. the permanent collection? I would always like to speak up. The, there are a thousand pieces. Yes, so objects. it includes sculpture, oh. um, some works of art on paper, some engravings and etchings. So Dave has been very astute in acquiring works that are typical of the artist. He's also found some absolutely astounding gems, uh, especially the 19th century group of paintings, some wonderful narrative history paintings. are Walker. Well, William Macon Walker, but, you know, frankly, Walter. Yeah. There are plenty of William Macon Walkers okay. out there. Okay. But there are, I mean, wonderful scenes uh, uh, around the Civil War, uh, the burial of Latinay, for instance, an astounding painting um, that's part of an exhibition called Romantic Spirits that's been circulating throughout the South. Uh, the Johnson Collection is very generous uh, with their collection and is a great advocate of of getting the collection to the people. So they have a very active exhibition program that has been ramping up. And also, a lot of the pieces in the collection are on view in the corporate headquarters of Johnson Development. So it, I was going to ask, where where is the collection housed? It's housed in Johnson Development in Spartanburg, Okay, and uh, the bulk of it is. And uh, I wanted to say something about Martha. My my background as far as this is, it's not unlike what you did with your history book, okay? Mm-hmm. You went back and you picked up some history that had just been dropped, sort of fumbled, mm-hmm. and, and and we did this. We basically, I, I felt like we should go back and we should address the whole field of play mm-hmm. and see what we've discovered. And what we've discovered is some very interesting new information, and has and I think it will enlighten people a little bit more about the diversity that it really in the art world is in the South. Yeah, and of course, there's always that argument. You mentioned Jasper Johns earlier. Is he a Southern artist? Well, by birth, he certainly absolutely is, and he was he got his training at the university with with uh, Augusta Rumbert. Right. So, I mean, yes, his style may not be quote Southern, but he is. Uh, a, I I would disagree. I mean, okay. the 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 South uh, or his childhood growing up in South Carolina uh, has resurrected it has become very much a theme in his recent work and it's not unusual as i think the three of us will admit as we age we we reminisce we look back upon our earlier years and think about times and people and for instance uh jasper johns has done a whole series reflecting on um his grandmother uh with whom he lived and and so it, it that was an Allendale, mm-hmm. and uh, so South Carolina is on his mind. He spent six years uh, working half the year in Edisto. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, just to be born in the South, yes. Uh, now, there is that unfortunate thing. He was born in Augusta, Georgia. Because the hospital was there. Because the hospital was there. <laughs> but he really is a South Carolinian in yeah. my mind. Dave, how long have you been the director now? I came on board at the very beginning. I started acquiring uh, the paintings uh, in, two, in uh, March of 2002. Okay. And uh, I've really been been on board from, from the beginning. So when you said that you, you look at four to 5,000 paintings a week? Yep. It's on the Internet, though. Well, I understand. I, understand. I have to filter first. <laughs> you know, you, fi- you filter and then you call and you ask yeah. questions. And... I mean, that's... 
astounding. That I mean, that is astounding. Uh, that's the only way to, from a business point of view, to build the collection and allow us to have uh, more paintings than we might otherwise have is to buy them at auction, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've tried to do. There's risk in there, but uh, we feel more comfortable with that plan. Well, it's it's amazing what the, the Internet has done to the whole auction. Oh, well, it changed everything, Walter. We couldn't have I – could, I had no chance of being able to do this 15 years ago without the computer. South Carolina pieces have skyrocketed in value with the Internet. Yes. They have. Particularly if you throw out Huddy and not just his etchings. If you have an oil, or, I mean, the price just goes sky you know, high. Sky high. I think it's very exciting. Um, as well as scary. Well, it just makes it harder for us. It, still can, be, it can still be done, though. <laughs> oh, oh, it, you just I mean, have to really want to do it and, and uh, put your nose to the grindstone and, and keep looking. Well, I was just looking at the cover of the November-slash-December 2014 issue of Antiques Magazine, and I just said, that looks like a yajin. Well, it is an Ed yajin, and it turns out that there's a very long article in here about the Johnson collection. Yes. It's very exciting to get that kind of national visibility and that covered with this its orange tones. It just screams, and it screams modern, which is, I think, a delightful thing to communicate that the South has a modernist mm-hmm. uh, thrust as well as the kind of sentimental, you know, mossy... Trees. Yes, and it's. I'm pretty sure that that is a Columbia Street scene. Oh, no it's doubt. Par- it's yeah. Park Street. Park Street, yeah. yeah. Uh, Does it look to- like that today? Uh, no, it's been <laughs> urbanly renewed. <laughs> <laughs> we, should, we should check it out. Um, can we talk a little bit about the article in Antiques? Um, I think we should because it's positioning the collection. Um, there are actually two components to the uh, articles in antiques. Um, there's an overview article uh, that describes the history, much as Dave has. Uh, it includes some beautiful reproductions of some signature pieces. Uh, there's a sidebar that discusses the scholarship thrust of the Johnson Collection, uh, which I think is one of its most important aspects. And that includes such things as publications, which can be widely distributed, uh, an active internship program with Wofford, Converse, and then with a graduate-level intern, maybe from the University of Georgia or the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, uh, and a lecture series. There's a beginning effort to bring in significant national scholars to come to the upstate, to Spartanburg, and and present something on American art. So it's, it's really becoming a very active presence. And it has a gallery, too. Oh, another thing of interest, uh, we have another initiative going with Commerce in Wofford. Uh, we are bringing in a permanent curator, uh, not to interfere with the work Mar- Martha has done, but in conjunction with Converse and Walford, uh, we're going to use the collection as a teaching tool at both those uh, schools, and uh, our curator will 
be teaching courses on Southern art, African-American art, Black Mountain art, women's art, and, and those sorts of subjects. Mm-hmm. Uh, we th- we're really excited about what that may lead to. Okay. Black Mountain art you're talking about, North Carolina Mountain? Yep. We're talking about the, the School of Black Mountain and a period of 15 to 18 years where it was fully functional and it became the uh, place to be for artists in America during that period of time and all the important abstract expressionists taught mm-hmm. there during that period when we're very interested in the teachers and some of their students. Well, I was interested in, in what Martha said about the fact that they chose one of Ed Yajin's paintings from the collection to be on the cover because when people think about Southern art, they do think about Walker. Yes, William Macon Walker, right? Yeah, and to a lesser extent, the the Charleston, some of the Charleston Renaissance, not all, because but the pretty pictures with the moss draped trees and the kind of romantic Alice Ravenel, U.G. Smith, right? Exactly, uh, much as we love her, but that's a very much a Southern niche. So to have Yajin on the cover sends a whole different s- signal, and then there's another piece. Uh, I did a, a an article on William H. Johnson. Mm-hmm who, as a South Carolina native and an important figure in African-American art history, is a modernist, uh, very much as he accepts a a variety of styles uh, until he finds his own, which is very much an abstracted, colorful version of of modern art. And... Johnson, William H. Johnson, no connection to the to No the relation. Family. From the PD, correct? And well, from, Florence. Florence, yeah, in the PD right. section. Had almost been forgotten. Yes. He had to be rediscovered, and his rediscovery started uh, with the gift of a large body of his work to what was then called the National Collection of Fine Arts in Washington. And there was the seminal show in the early 1970s and then another exhibition uh, that circulated about 1992 called Homecoming, which really brought him home to South Carolina, which was kind of nice. Before that collection went to Washington, there were feelers put out to see if the university wanted to buy that mm. collection. In the early 1970s, nobody had the funds to... That's too bad. It is too bad. I mean, the early 1970s, things were really tight in mm-hmm. terms of yeah. state funding, and there was almost no endowment, and... There wasn't a George Dean Johnson around to say, hey, I'll write the university a check for X hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of dollars to bring these paintings in. But I do remember uh, it was during the administration of W.H. Patterson, and it was discussed of how can we keep these paintings in South Carolina. Dr. Patterson understood the, mm-hmm. the importance of it, just didn't have the wherewithal. The, wherewithal. the Harmon Foundation placed many paintings uh, at uh, the universities around the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fisk in particular, and um, Tuskegee. Hampton. Um, Hampton also, but, yes. But also the museums in South Carolina, Florence Museum, Columbia Museum, mm-hmm. the Gibbs, mm-hmm. uh, and Greenville all have pieces that were, were given, actually, I think, through the National Collection of Fine Arts. Mm-hmm. You want to talk a minute about William Johnson? I know we're here to talk about Eugene Thompson as well, but... Martha, you helped to rediscover William Johnson. Well, I wouldn't say I helped. Um, You're too modest. uh, Well, I was lucky while I was curator at the Greenville County Museum of Art to uh, assist in the growth of a collection of William H. Johnson for Greenville. And we were very lucky to have 
benefactors, uh, Carolyn and Wayne Jones, and they worked with Tom Styron, who played the same role that Dave plays uh, for the Johnson Collection. Tom went to various sources to put together a chronological survey of Johnson's work, uh, not, not just the better-known late work, which in some people's minds looked like it derives from comic strips. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, comic strips, uh, as an analogy, are very appropriate because his first contact with the visual arts seems to have been the comic strips that he saw in the newspapers that were left around the Florence Railroad Station. This was as a child. But the collection at Greenville um, has paintings uh, from his uh, Paris period, from his southern France period, from his um, Danish period, from his Norwegian period. And in all of those various moments, he explores different artistic styles. And it was really about him finding his artistic voice. And for me, as an art historian, this is a fascinating a story. It's also a wonderful teaching tool. Uh, when I used to meet with young people in the gallery where the Johnsons were being hung, I would say, you know, you all as teenagers, look, this is an artist who took years to find himself. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, it, it's a matter of struggle and experimentation. Well, and there are Johnson paintings in the Johnson Collection. There are five pieces, and they're uh, illustrated in the Antiques uh, article. Okay. Well, let's talk about Eugene Thomason. Um, he's not in the encyclopedia. He's not in the encyclopedia. What encyclopedia? The one where you were the art. <laughs> oh, the one that we worked on together. The one that we yeah. worked on together. He's not in the South Carolina encyclopedia. But in the introduction, I reconnected with an old and dear friend, and that was Jack Kraft, who was the director of the Columbia Museum of Art who, as you point out, really sort of discovered Thomason, except he forgot that he was a native of South Carolina because he spent most of his time in, in, in North, North Carolina. Carolina. But I also happen to, to think, you know, the other things that Jack Kraft did, the things that he, you know, he's, he's long gone, rest in peace, Jack, but he was quite, quite a force in the art world in South Carolina. And in the museum world. I think he was one of the earliest truly museum professionals. Uh, and I never met him. I, I came too late uh, in 1976. I, but his presence and his name came up repeatedly. And he championed Eugene Thomason uh, and hosted an exhibition. And what he did do, uh, and was very helpful to me, he saw Thomason as a Southern regionalist. And by regionalist, I'm using an art historical term that usually refers to people like uh, Grant Wood, uh, John Stuart Curry, Thomas Hart Benton, Thomas Hart Benton in particular. Yes. Um, so, so let's describe for our listeners, I'm sure most of those, particularly Benton and Grant Wood, are going to ring I hope so. Bells. But let's describe their style, if you will. Well, well, I think I'll, I'll describe not so much their style, but their point of view. And, and the idea is that they're painting their region, that they're painting the world around them. Uh, Thomas Hart Benton was based in the Midwest, but he also uh, did a couple of uh, serious mural series in which 
he explored the various regions of the country. So he traveled extensively, traveled through the South, traveled through Mississippi, along the Mississippi River, but he also traveled uh, throughout the Northeast uh, and the Midwest. Uh, in terms of style, I think Thomas Hart Benton is the most distinctive um, because his figures are very active, constantly in motion. But perhaps Grant Wood, with that iconic painting, American Gothic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's that single painting that most people can recognize and of a simple purported farm comp- couple. All right, so he's painting his region, and by now the region that he's painting is western Piedmont and western North Carolina. We're talking about Eugene Thomason. Eugene yes, Thomason. Yes, indeed. Um, and very few people were doing this, and, and I think that gives him a special place. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background about Eugene Thomason. As we've indicated, he was born in South Carolina in Blacksburg. And the reason why his family was there was because his father was involved in the railroad business. And he continued to be involved in the railroad business uh, until his death. This is the father uh, in the mid-1930s. So Thomason's childhood was a little peripatetic, but basically he ended up in Charlotte, aspired to be an artist after a couple of years serving in the Navy during World War One, He was dabbling at art. Um, he attended Davidson College for one year. You yep. saw that. Yes. Yeah, it didn't, didn't work. Didn't, didn't fit. Was a bad fit for whatever reason. I will, as an aside, though, you'll be pleased to hear, Walter, that Davidson was very helpful with my research, mm-hmm. could tell me the uh, courses he took. Um, they also have two paintings. They have two professors. I, one of them I, would, I, I very well remember. Professor Harding. Yeah, Professor Harding. Uh, rather doer individual. <laughs> and the portrait that um, Thomason painted of him, I think, captures that oh. doer classics mm-hmm. position. Uh, in any event, Edgar Thomason, the artist's father, was an associate of James Buchanan Duke. And Duke got wind of the fact that Thomason Jr. wanted to become an artist, and so he put out a challenge and said, okay, Eugene, if you can paint my portrait and if I like it, then I will see that you can go off to New York and study art. Well, Eugene Thomason met that challenge. Duke was very pleased. It's a very interesting portrait. Um, well, the portrait actually is lost. Well, the illustration in the book. Okay, it's lost, but I mean, I did see an illustration in the, yeah, in the book. It's most unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've poked around and we just don't know where the painting is. But in any event, Duke um, honored his word. Uh, Thomason went off to the Art Students League, it began in 1921. At the time, the Art Students League was the place to go. Uh, The major players in uh, American art were the instructors there. These were the likes of John Sloan, Robert Henry, and George Lukes. Mm -hmm. Hopper wasn't in that group. Hopper, no. And Hopper never really, Edward Hopper, uh, was not really ever a teacher. Mm -hmm. Though he's another good example of regionalist. Mm -hmm. Though... He didn't paint people so much as, say, Benton or, or Grant, Grant Wood. So Thomason's in New York going to art school. Right, in the 20s. In the, in the 20s uh, with what's sort of referred to as the Ashcan School. Yes, yes. yes. And, and the Ashcan, um, I always like to um, explain 
the derivation of that term, and it's it's a little foreign to us these days. But in those years, would one empty the ashes from your potbelly stove or your fireplace and dump them into an ash can, literally a trash can, yeah, and put it way. out on the street? Yeah. And if you think of, okay, a can full of ashes, it's going to be gray, it's going to be gritty, it's not going to be particularly pretty. Um, and that basically was the nature of the Ashcan School painting painters. And to some extent, they were reacting to the pretty, quote-unquote, nature of American Impressionism mm-hmm. with the soft pastel colors and you know pretty trees and, and women sitting in sunlight. So the Ashcan School was the dominant presence uh, at the Art Students League in the 1920s. And George Lukes was definitely Eugene Thomason's mentor. Uh, They became good friends. Uh, George Lukes was dismissed from the Art Students League for drunkenness. And uh, when that happened, he set up his own school. Thomason went along, uh, became Lukes's kind of class monitor and also drinking buddy. Okay. So why did he stay in New York? Why didn't he stay in New York? Mm-hmm. Well, good question. Nice story. Um, nice story. Um, in, in 1930, um, there was an incident uh, variously described uh, by members of the family, and I had the good fortune of interviewing uh, three of his daughters, of the artist's daughters, and so they've been very forthcoming and very generous with archives and pictures. But it seems that there was an incident uh, involving a car that Thomason owned. He wasn't driving it, but um, the woman who was driving it hit a pedestrian. And fearing that there would be a lawsuit, Thomason decided to get out of town. So he escaped to uh, North Carolina, and for a few years he kind of retreated to the area around Lake James. Interestingly enough, Lake James was a man-made lake on the Catawba River. A, a Duke Power Company. A Duke Power Hydroelectric. So, so the Duke presence kind of plays again um, into uh, Thomason's life. And so, for the from 1930 to 1939, Thomason's in the Charlotte area, Lake James area. And then he moves to Nebo. Yeah, I had to look it up on the map. Yes. Now, tell us where Nebo is. 45 miles east of Asheville. I forget the exact mileage. Um, It's near Marion, Morganton. It's a crossroads. It is south of Lake James, and so it was an area where there was good fishing, a little bit of recreational tourism coming through, aided by things like the Blue Ridge Parkway being built, you know, bringing tourists um, through. And he was quite a prolific painter. I mean, the, yes. You you have pictures of his his house. Yes. Uh, I love the story of his house about how he stoned his his house. Rock, rocked it. The Rock, dogs, excuse me, rocked, rocked it. it. And basically, it was a very simple uh, farmhouse. No electricity. No plumbing. No telephone until 1952. But Thomason, with a little bit of help, put boulders around the entire structure to it. Added a second story. Added a studio. Is the house still there? The house, the structure is still there. It's not a house any longer. It, the property was bought by a church. They have added a regular church structure to it, and so the house is sort of like an office parish house. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. I could only, I got there. We had an appointment. Um, I was assisted by a local historian, Helen Norman, and we had an appointment to look at the house, but the person was a no-show. So the best we could do was peek in the windows. Well, and you had family photographs, though. Yes, yes, that are in the book. To go on. We need to pause for a moment and let our listeners know that this is Walter Edgar's journal, and I'm talking with Dave Henderson, the director of the Johnson Collection in Spartanburg, and Martha Severins, the curator of the Eugene Thomason exhibit. So let's get back to Thomason's production. He did a little bit of everything. He did portraits. He did landscapes. And a few still lives, too. Yes. So he was eclectic in terms of subject matter, but... Uh, once he settled in Nebo, he became very much immersed in his surroundings, and he mined them. Uh, they were his inspiration. And so uh, he painted these— D- Didn't he in, sort of invent a family? Yes, yes. I, I found that fascinating. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. The Hankins, the Hankins. And I think the name itself, um, with, with is, which is sort of harsh, is very apropos of— the people that he portrayed. And these people tend to be somewhat gaunt, sunken cheeks. This would be the Scotch, Scotch-Irish population of Appalachia. George Lukes, when he visited the area, he described them as um, high-hipped, turtle-back women, which I think suggests something awkward. See, I'm immediately beginning to picture WPA photographs. Mm-hmm. Very appropriate. Exactly yes. what you'd be looking yes. at. Yeah. Now, in terms of his style, he heavy he paint thick, thick paint. Thick paint. Okay. Thick paint. Bold brushstrokes. Yes. And such things as dark colors, kind of overlaid with brighter colors, um, if that makes any sense. And Dave, I think it was a, a, one of the items in your collection. You found out in restoration that it was painted over another? The, oh, there were many of his paintings that he painted over. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, he came from a very poor circumstances up there, and uh, we find uh, amongst his paintings that we have in the collection, you rarely find one that hadn't been overpainted. And, and painting things on plywood, and some of them probably were painted with house paints. With house paint? House paints, yes. He used whatever he could get whatever his hands on. Whatever he could get his hands on. It's kind of fun when you look at the paintings, especially if you can kind of look at them at an angle and you can actually see the brushstrokes of the painting underneath the painting that you're actually looking at. There are two paintings that come to mind. One is called The Art Student, and it's a, a kind of fun painting. It shows a, a woman in a bright yellow dress. We're seeing her from behind, and she has a rather prominent derriere. But if you look uh, from an angle, you can see uh, a, a painting underneath. And then there's another painting, uh, a painting of Thomas Wolfe, uh, which is a posthumous portrait. I was say it was out. Well after, like 30 years after Thomas Wolfe died. But I think um, there is a nice parallel between Wolfe and Thomason. They both lived in Greenwich Village in the 1920s, and they both were part, or they were attached, let's say, to Western North Carolina. And the whole idea of look homeward angel, you know, the, that being in Thomas Wolfe's mm-hmm. blood, and I think to some extent uh, North Carolina was the same for Thomason. Okay. And 
Dave, why did the Johnson Collection just, I mean, I know you, you, you collect widely, but you really assembled a, this is the largest collection of Thomason paintings anywhere, is it not? Yeah. Yes. It, it's our objective to have, uh, I'd say, three or four artists that we we pick and focus on and develop their their story. Now, what happened on Eugene Thomason is the, before I started working with George and Susu, the first painting they ever bought it just happened to be Eugene Thomason called The Harvest. And Susie, it was blue. It was Mary in North Carolina. Susie's from that part of the country. And she got enamored by that painting. And George did too. And they asked me to go out and see if I could find a significant body of work. And we were able to, uh, through the sisters, find the, the paintings we, the best paintings we get our hands on. There's a, I'm sure there's a large number of paintings still out there that we have not. How many Thomason paintings do you have? We have uh, 60. 60. Yeah. Okay. Well, who are some of the other artists that you're focusing on? William Halsey is, a, is another one we're trying well, see, to... See, I was going to ask, because when I, I looked at your book, Martha, I immediately thought of Halsey, and he. It, would you describe him as a regionalist as well? Yes, yes, in a way. I, I guess, um, for me, regionalists tend to be more figurative paintings, mm-hmm. you know, people people in the painting. Uh, and uh, Halsey, in his early career, was really a kind of late representative of the Charleston Renaissance with those Charleston street scenes. Uh, of course, he did do some figurative paintings, the, the, the old man in the chair. But then, you know, Halsey really came into his own, I think, with abstraction and you know, those collages that he did from his own paint cloths and his own mm-hmm. blue jeans. Uh, that, I think, is his more signature work. So he transcends regionalism. Okay. But it is interesting that that Thomason and Halsey would have overlapped. Um, well, I, it's just that when I, after I finished reading your book, I did go to the encyclopedia, and there's a Halsey street scene in there. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, this looks pretty much like the same genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and and actually, that street scene, um, which would come from the 1940s, is contemporary with Thomason. Now, Thomason dies in 1972. Bill Halsey dies like in uh, 1995. I, I forget the exact date. So, so Halsey's a another a later generation. The, the reason uh, this artist was not uh, recognized it, it's it's the same old story that I run across all the time. When you when you when an artist goes to New York, and then he comes back, he gets lost in New York and never gets his just due in New York, and he comes back. And then if you go to the mountains, and particularly he didn't exhibit that much, then you you're pretty much written off the map unless somebody takes the time to dig in, like well, you would do in or, or like we and, did. And of course, timing is everything. If he were to be in Western North Carolina these days yeah. with the art community in Asheville. Right. I mean, it would be, be a totally different story. Exactly. Right. Oh. And, and I think the other thing that, that we can add to the story is that he had no gallery representation. He had no dealer fighting for him, positioning him, doing you know reproductions in art magazines. He did have several important museum exhibitions. We've already mentioned the one at the Columbia Museum. That was the first one, was it not? No. No. And this is an interesting story. And I'm sorry to correct I, I, you so okay. abruptly. Interesting story is what we're all yeah. about, Mark. Don't feel um, badly about that. I get corrected frequently. <laughs> <laughs> um, this takes us back to the 
mid-1930s, where Thomason is in Charlotte. Uh, He rents a big studio space. He takes on art students. He hosts exhibition of his work and their work. And there becomes a kind of um, grassroots movement. Oh, this art stuff, this is kind of fun. I read newspaper clippings that had headlines like hundreds of art lovers show up at exhibitions. and The Mint Museum. The Mint Museum, exactly. You knew where this was going. And Thomason was one of the first artists to have an exhibition there at the Mint. The Mint actually, over the years, has had three, mm-hmm. and we'll have a fourth because they are going to take this exhibition. And we're delighted they're taking it because it's going to be in the same building that he originally exhibited in. Oh, wow. The one on Randolph Road, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's kind of a, a homecoming of, of a sort. Okay. So the Mint Museum, the Asheville Museum, and the Columbia Museum did champion him. Okay. It's sort of interesting because Jack Kraft championing him there were serious collectors in Columbia, and you just wonder why it didn't... Click? It didn't click. I don't know. Well, I mean, maybe it, because no gallery was available to... Uh, well, that that could have... So how did he sell his paintings? Well, he didn't. And I, I, I think maybe Thomason's work was a little too raw, a little too rugged for the Columbia audience mm-hmm. of the day. I think they probably preferred... Elizabeth O'Neill Verner and Alice Smith. Blondell Malone. Or Taylor. Or, or Anna Hayward Taylor. Who, who, loyalty to the to the local yeah, family artist. And her work, I think, is in a different class from the others. But but very different from Eugene Thomas. Oh, 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 absolutely. I think Martha's right. I think the subject matter was is not conducive to hanging in your living room. And, and also the style. I mean, it is, uh, I think, an acquired taste. Okay. Although I'm I'm looking at his self-portrait on the cover, and I think that could hang just about. That's very pleasant painting for him. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, and that was probably painted for um, his last exhibition at the Mint. So you're saying now I'm picking up from both of you. It's not the kind of painting you would want to hang in your living room, or some people would not prefer to hang it in their living room. Well, I don't think I don't think that's across the board. I, I, my no, book, not. frankly, right now is open to this wonderful little gem of a painting. Uh, the three roses. The three roses. Now, everybody would love to have that painting. I mean, granted, there are big slash bright blue brushstrokes, but but it's a cheerful painting. The harvest scene that David mentioned is a very attractive painting, and most art historians wouldn't use that term, but it is a sunny painting. There's a painting of children playing on the dunes. And I have to admit, one of my favorite paintings, maybe people wouldn't like it in their living room, uh, is the one of Hurricane Hazel, which is his most abstract work. Big slashing strokes, white dominates. Is is he using brush or is putty knife? Yes. Using both? Yes, and probably the end of his um, paintbrush too, his fingers. Who knows? But at Hurricane Hazel is is interesting to me because 1954, when the hurricane hit, this is at the heyday of American Expressionism in New York, uh, when the art world shifted from Paris to New York. And he is emoting, if you will. He is as upset about the devastation of the hurricane as say, Jackson Pollock, you know, who's throwing his emotions down 
on canvas in a very physical uh, sort of way. It's doubtful that Thomason ever had any knowledge of, certainly no contact with the abstract expressionists, but he you know, captured something. Maybe it was something, you know, in the air, in the water. Well, we Southerners have always been creative. Yes, yes, <laughs> of course. That's uh, a very strong painting, though. It, it's, uh, it would stand up against mm-hmm. many a painting. Yes. Well, you know, Dave, you said earlier that there were three or four artists that uh, the Johnson Collection was going to, while collecting lots, but there were three or four that you were going to focus on, like Eugene Thomason, right. to create a, a corpus, right. uh, a body of work. Who are some of the others? That... All right. Uh, I mentioned uh, Halsey and Margaret Law, who is a Spartanburg artist who is greatly underappreciated. Uh, she uh, spent a lot of time in Baltimore, and uh, she is a, a fine regionalist artist. I, I would agree, and, and definitely regionalist, because she has yeah. those wonderful uh, paintings of the, the peach pickers and um, you know, really puts the people in the landscape. And we're going to we may try to do a couple of monographs of uh, artists outside of South Carolina too. They're doing a retrospective on an artist by the name of Marie Hull, who is a Mississippi artist at the Mississippi Museum of Art next year. Uh, she was one on my list, but if uh, you know if other people pick on, we'll move on because there's there are other artists that need to be done. That's three to start with. Uh, we have a very ambitious publishing schedule. Uh, this this book here is is out now. Uh, Martha is working on uh, romantic no, no, scenic, scenic impressions. impressions. I get that. That's the trouble with having too many books to work on. <laughs> scenic impressions, and uh, we're also working on a book on women artists of the South. And so far, Martha and I have identified fourteen hundred women that we've got to go through and, uh, and see, figure out and, and place. figure out and try to place them. Well, so you're you're going to cover. We're going. To, that's going the to be region. the big. That's going to be a major undertaking. Uh, it's never been done before, and we think it should be. Okay. Well, I, I just got to throw out. You have to. You, you Marion Acker from Mobile, who is mm-hmm. contemporary. Uh, you you know. Yeah. Acker's work. Okay. Yeah, she and did a lot of know, How do you know her work? Because I grew up in Mobile, and okay. I own I own some of her. Oh, work. so do I. And they're etchings. Uh, do you have paintings? Well, I actually actually I have I have two original pen and inks. That oh, she did for our family. Oh, nice. Yes. Yes. Uh, the Mary and I, we're going to, we're going to, that, that uh, book on women artists of the South, no one's tried to undertake it. And uh, we just feel like that's been a, something that's been missed. And it's going to be a, a collaborative effort. We're going to be working with um, experts from each state or uh, groups of states. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be totally uh, no, no, one driven by one person. So it's mm-hmm. going to be a, a, a nice collaboration. Yeah. Well, that that sounds like a very daunting project. It, it is. We're, we're do- we're, we certainly feel like it is, don't yes. we, Martha? <laughs> well, I won't even ask you what your what your deadline is for that because I, that's what, something I think once you get into. We set a deadline for ourselves, 2018. We, okay. we may have to back off of that, okay. but we, we'll plug ahead. Because I just have returned from a visit to Mobile and working in the, the History Museum, which also has an incredible art collection, particularly in addition to the to the Art Museum mm-hmm. of the City of Mobile. And they are local artists that had just been rediscovered even mm-hmm. in their hometown. Well, there, an art, there's an art, there was an art colony down there. Yes. And, yep. and uh, that's one of the things we're working on with this women's 
situation. There are, there are, uh, I would probably guess, twenty-five art colonies of significance mm-hmm. in the South that we we are trying to identify and discover the founders and all of the things that, mm-hmm. to see how this all evolved over time. And also things like the role of women's clubs um, at fostering and nurturing the art of women. And, and even in the late 19th, early 20th century, the role of expositions that tended to have women's buildings mm-hmm. um, and, and what role they played. Mm-hmm. And such things as the Southern States Art League, which was dominated by women. The reason, one of the reasons I went to Mobile was to speak at a women's study club for their centennial mm-hmm. and surveying the literature of women's clubs and organizations. Once again, they might have something about Peoria, but in two books that are national, they were, I found four southern cities. Two were in Texas. And I don't, <laughs> it's a stretch to have El Paso. Uh, yes. <laughs> you know, one was obviously in, in New Orleans, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, it's... It's a totally undiscovered... There's been some writing done now, Martha. Uh, there's the lady in Augusta. Yes, Karen Claxman, mm-hmm. uh, who did a master's thesis for um, University of South Carolina. She's working to uh, with the University of South Carolina Press um, to put the study into uh, a bound volume that will be distributed. So that's exciting. And we're going to be working off of that, too. We've talked mm-hmm. to her, and we're going to work off of that. Ours will be more states and more involved than what she did, but she she's given us a great base. Well, I don't regret that I have re- have retired, but in terms of <laughs> material for for study, I mean, I was when I went in to do this this paper for this group in Alabama, I just was stunned at the lack of, and I, they gave me access to their archives. Mm, that's I mean, nice. I, I had a hundred years of programs. Whoa, that's uh, invaluable information. You know. And these ladies were very serious about what they were, what they were doing. And, and there were clubs like that all across the South and all mm-hmm. across the country. Uh, for instance, Greenville yeah. has something called the Thursday Club, yeah. and women have been giving papers for the Thursday Club for over a hundred years. And I think a great dissertation or master's thesis would be to to study those mm-hmm. papers, which have been archived, I understand, at Furman, mm-hmm. to look at the themes and the concerns. Mm-hmm. The, the papers are fascinating. I attended one on Rachmaninoff, um, the Habsburgs, as well as people like Edith Wharton. We have digressed a little bit, but I think it's an important part of the story that as you're looking at women artists in the South, because that connection to women's study clubs mm-hmm. or reading clubs is a part of the larger cultural picture. I'm sure it is. Yeah. You mentioned the, the woman artist from Spartanburg, and I was not familiar. Margaret Law, L A W. Well, I have a suggestion for you, okay. uh, Walter, and that is that you get on the Johnson Collection's wonderful website, um, and their images are there. Uh, good sound biographies. It's a rich resource, and it's one of the tools that the Johnson Collection is using to to get the word out about their collection and about Southern art. Well, and, and we will have a link from Excellent. our website here at Walter Edgar's Journal to that collection. Perfect. And, and you'll it. enjoy it because um, there, are, there are pieces on Alfred Huddy, for instance, um, in addition to Margaret Law. So, And another thing that we're doing, which will be important over time, is we purchased a library last year 
on Southern art, and we're going to use it at, for scholarly research. I tie it in with the colleges and anyone else like Martha. It's Can outstanding. You, yeah, and it's it's a marvelous tool. Oh, what li- whose library is it? Rob Hickland, oh, the Renaissance, okay. Renaissance Gallery. Uh, he has downsized his operation some, okay. and he was looking for a place to put it. He's originally from Spartanburg, mm-hmm. and uh, we negotiated uh, an arrangement uh, where he would have access to it, and we would uh, make it available online. Well, he was one of the pioneers in Absolutely. promoting Southern yes. art. Absolutely. Right. About my first painting from Rob. In publications, in positioning with advertising in art magazines, Mm -hmm. helping to define Southern art, Uh, he certainly was a pioneer. Well, Alfred's giving me the sign that we're going to have to wrap up. Dave, any last words about the Johnson Collection for our listeners? It's a collection, uh, if I were going to sum it up, it's a private collection for public good, which means we're going to be giving the opportunity to all the museums and people to use it as a study tool. Okay. All right. And Martha, about Eugene Thomason? uh, Well, I was going to reiterate what um, Dave just said, and that is kind of stay tuned and be alert because there are books out there. There are exhibitions that are circulating, and there's an opportunity when people pass through Spartanburg to make an appointment and check out the library and the collection. That, that so if, if I wanted to look at in person at the collection in Spartanburg, yes. I'd need to make an appointment. Yes, to, because we're, we're in a, bi- a business building, okay, and, and right. it's just hard to take big groups around. And okay. the staff is very busy doing their own thing. Okay. But we're more, but more very cordial. delighted to okay. take it around. Well, Dave Henderson, the director of the Johnson Collection, and Martha Severins, curatorial consultant for the Johnson Collection, and especially on Eugene Thomason. Thanks so much for being with us today on The Journal. Thank Thank you, Walter. This is Walter Edgar, and I hope you enjoyed today's journal. I did. It's always fun to have Martha Severns on the show, and I enjoyed meeting Dave Henderson. We kind of went all over the map. We talked about Southern art, regionalism, defining what it means. We got involved in the issue of unknown women artists in the South, the role of women's clubs at the turn of the last century. And it was all begun because Martha sent me her latest book, From New York to Nebo, The Artistic Journey of Eugene Thomason. And with that thread, we covered the Southern artistic landscape. This is Walter Edgar. Join me next week for more of The Journal. Walter Edgar's Journal is a production of South Carolina ETV Radio. The producer and engineer is Alfred Turner. Production of this program is made possible in part by listener contributions to the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. The views and opinions expressed on Walter Edgar's journal are not necessarily those of South Carolina ETV Radio.